We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. I'm Public Affairs Officer Taylor Henry, and it is my honor and privilege to be chatting today with our shepherd, uh, His Excellency, the Most Reverend Timothy P. Brolio. And Archbishop Brolio, thank you, first of all, for making it possible to do this podcast, and uh, thank you for being here today and giving up a little of your time you're out of your busy schedule to talk um uh, you we're recording this on march 10th 2017 i'm looking at the snow flurries falling down over <laughs> catholic <laughs> university and um you recently celebrated your ninth anniversary as archbishop for the military services uh, back on january 25th you celebrated your ninth anniversary um Share with us, if you would, uh, your experiences looking back over the nine years. What have been the high points and the low points? Well, it's been a good uh, it's been a good run thus far, and certainly the high points uh, consist in in ministering to fine men and women and their families. That's really a privilege. Uh, I think ordained ministry gives us the opportunity to to reach out to people in in moments that are particularly important to them and so the possibility to celebrate the sacraments uh with with so many of our uh, men and women in uniform our cadets and midshipmen at the academies and certainly the possibility um in 2009 of spending holy week in Iraq and in 2014 of spending holy week in Afghanistan those were singular moments, uh, privileged encounters between uh, a shepherd and, and his flock. You do quite a bit of traveling. That has to be that has to be challenging. The amount of traveling you do, I mean, you're like on the road, what, two-thirds out of the year? Yes, about 200 days a year I'm on the road, and it's, uh, that is definitely one of the real challenges of this ministry. Um, it is difficult to... Uh, direct the affairs of a diocese uh, long distance, um, and it's difficult to be constantly traveling, uh, especially the way travel has become in our modern days. It's faster, but it's also a little more uh, taxing on the uh, human spirit. (laughs) Understood. So during your pastoral visits, you mentioned you've been to Iraq, you've been to Afghanistan. I suppose you go to a lot of the military installations throughout the United States and in Europe and elsewhere. what do you do during these pastoral visits? Usually I take advantage of uh, every opportunity I have to spend time with the faithful, uh, to celebrate the Eucharist with them, to meet with the various groups that there are on our military installations, Knights of Columbus, uh, Military Council of Catholic Women, um, other groups that they might have, visit the uh, those places where there are. Young people visit the religious education classes, um, the Catholic pastoral councils, and then, of course, obviously an opportunity to meet with the uh, leadership at an installation um, to let them know of, uh, of my concern and, uh, and also the archdiocese care for uh, the Catholic faithful that are there. And if there are any difficulties, um, to expose those and to uh, talk about them, because obviously... Um, and an encounter, a personal encounter, is always much better than uh, than any other way that we might uh, express concerns. So that's a 
that's a constant of those visits. We hear a lot about uh, religious freedom issues in the U.S. military. What's your experience? Is there a concerted effort to stamp out the free exercise of religion in the military? I would say, as a direct answer to your question, no. I think there have been challenges. There are generally subtle challenges to religious liberty. But in general, religious freedom in our country is, is respected. So what is the status of the Catholic chaplaincy in the military right now? We've heard a good bit about the shortage of priests. And uh, last year you uh, got up at the uh, bishops' conference and uh, made comments about this. Where do things stand now, and what is the outlook? The outlook is is rather bleak. Um, we are at an extreme shortage of, of priests in the military, largely due to... Um, well, somewhat the decline in vocations in the United States, but also the fact that these men have to be in uh, physical condition and, and of an age where they can uh, serve as officers in in the military and then also fulfill their, their priestly duties. Um, so as we try to encourage men to think about this vocation within a vocation, we have obviously the recruiters from the three services who try to uh, ferret out uh, people who might be feeling this, the experiencing this call uh, to service in the chaplaincy. And then we also have 36 uh, seminarians who are in the co-sponsorship program. And these are men who are studying for a territorial diocese, but at the same time, they are also studying for the Archdiocese for Military Services. And after three years of priestly ministry in a parish, they will come on active duty. In addition to this program, we also have Forgotten Country, which is an opportunity that we give to priests already ordained to come to Washington for a week, hear about the chaplaincy, and perhaps think about uh, themselves as chaplains. This has been a very successful program, uh, which we've run now two times, and we hope to run it a third time uh, next fall. And uh, the co-sponsored uh, seminary program, when you say co-sponsored, uh, the Archdiocese uh, for the military works with local dioceses to pay for the uh, the seminary expenses. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, the Archdiocese for Military Services is responsible for one half of the costs of formation for for the seminarians who are in this program. And I suspect those costs are pretty high, aren't they? They are. It costs about... Uh, about $35,000 a year for the formation of a seminarian. And if we're responsible for uh, uh, half of that for 36 men, it's, uh, it's, it's a considerable financial commitment on the part of the archdiocese. And the archdiocese gets no government money. Uh, we have no churches really uh, to take up regular collections. Where, where does the funding come from? Well, as you rightly point out, it does not come from the government. And because of the restrictions on collections on military installations, I cannot do what my territorial brothers do. I cannot take up a, a cathedraticum that is a percentage of the collections on Sunday. So uh, a good bit of our support comes from the Knights of Columbus, from direct appeals that are made, from... Uh, a Catholic Extension Society, from home missions, and also from uh, the Black and Indian missions, all of which uh, help us meet our approximately 7 million annual 
$7 million annually for uh, our needs. And uh, that's operational expenses. That's not counting the uh, cost of educating new seminarians. That is correct. That's just operational expenses. So what would be the projection, say, for the next five years in seminarian expenses? Uh, I would say it's about uh, $2.5 million. And if um, someone listening to this uh, wanted to help out, what? Uh, how could they help? Well, there are various ways. Um, they can certainly go to the website, uh, um, millarch.org, uh, or um, if they're interested, they can contact Mary Lavin, uh, who would be able also to... Uh, we do have some scholarships for uh, semina- funding seminarians, and uh, these are available to those who, who might uh, be in a position where they can contribute to uh, the education of young men as future chaplains. And speaking of education, over the past few years, you've promulgated a new religious curriculum for children and teenagers of military families, grades K through 12, called uh, Forming Disciples for the New Evangelization. What is the purpose of this new curriculum? The purpose of it is really to respond to an issue of justice. Um, I am, as obviously as Archbishop, I'm responsible to teach, uh, to govern, and, uh, and to sanctify the people entrusted to my pastoral care. And we're dealing with a population that is extremely mobile. So it's important that Johnny or Joan when they move from um, Schweinfurt or from uh, um, some other installation and, and go somewhere else, they have a permanent change of station, their parents have a permanent change of station, that they're studying the same thing. They may not be using the same books, but they should be meeting the same criteria. And this is um, really... Um, um, a very important uh, service that we perform for the military. Now, this meets with a certain resistance. It meets from a certain resistance because uh, the archdiocese is huge. It's spread out over the the whole world. So obviously it's difficult uh, for people to adapt uh, to a new system. We are also subject to the uh, we always did it this way syndrome, um, which provides a certain amount of... uh, uh, of resistance, and then, of course, a failure to understand uh, my primary role as a teacher in the faith. The First Amendment guarantees uh, that we can practice our religion in the military. It also guarantees that we don't establish a new religion. So there's not a Catholic Church in the Army or in the Navy or in the Air Force. There's the Catholic Church to court. And uh, the uh, standardized uh, curriculum for religious education is one of the ways that we ensure that. What can you tell us about the status of the uh, investigation for the cause of Father Capadano? I'm very pleased to report that uh, we're almost about to conclude the archdiocesan phase um, and this has involved a tremendous amount of work by v- a very, very dedicated team. And I'm extremely grateful for uh, their efforts. I'm extremely grateful also to the uh, Father Capodano Guild, which has provided both animation and financial support to this process. Um, 
when the process goes to Rome, to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, then it will be evaluated, and eventually the fathers, the members of the congregation, will be presented with the heroic virtues of Father Capodanno, and they will make a decision as to whether uh, these heroic virtues merit for him the title of venerable. Um, and that will be the last stage before the beatification. So as um, the dossier is put together and as the eventual uh, miracles attributed to his intercession are evaluated, then we can hope to see uh, a date for his beatification. Archbishop Brolio, thank you so much for talking with me today. You're very welcome. Pleasure to do so.